Well, hey, good morning, everybody. We doing good? All right. Well, I'm David. I'm our teaching pastor here at Frontline, and ushers are gonna go ahead and start taking offering while I just basically take off. I'm stoked for today. I'm really excited. Uh, we are in week two, if you're joining us for the first time. Uh, this is week two of a four-part series on the 24 hours before uh, Jesus is at the cross. So we're just surveying 24 hours, and what as we were looking at it, as we were reading through different texts, we saw that there were actually four different locations that Jesus finds himself in in leading up to the cross. And so this week, well, let me start. Last week, uh, we were at the table. We were in the upper room. Jesus is with his disciples. And this week, we're moving on to the garden. Uh, but before I get into the garden, before we start fleshing out a lot of that material, uh, and there's a lot of it today, I just wanna let you know. So just hang with me. Um, this is gonna be fun. But for me, this has been transformational. Uh, even in my prep, I mean, this has been a sermon, I don't often have this, but sermons that I just toil with and wrestle and go, okay, what, what is the text saying here? God, what are you doing here in the life of Jesus? What are you doing in his mind, in his heart? And then what are you doing in me? And how does that pertain to us in today's context? So where we're going today, I just have to tell you, I'm amped, I'm super excited, it's gonna be fun, um, but it's also gonna be really challenging. So with that said, um, one of the main themes that you're gonna see emerge today is the theme of submission. Um, and how many of you, just show of hands, how many of you just love to submit to people around you? <laughs> right? Nervous laughter. I hate it too. Okay, I hate it. But uh, submission doesn't always just have to be submitting to other people. Submission is often just, uh, I, I want to do something, right? I want to commit to something. Um, so again, let's just do show of hands just for fun. Uh, how many of you set New Year's resolutions? All right. And how many of you are uh, excited about the success you've made towards that resolution right now? Here we are, again, nervous laughter, we're in March. A lot of us maybe just went, oh yeah, I forgot I set one of those. I forgot I set five of those. I forgot I've been doing this for the last 10 years and still have not made it past March in one of these New Year's resolutions. Uh, for me, let me share with you, this isn't so much as a New Year's resolution for me as much as it is just a resolution for me. Um, I just wanna be healthy. I wanna get healthy, uh, I wanna work out, I wanna, uh, wanna run, I wanna do all these things. Um, so like my spirit wants to do it, right? Like you feel the, the emotion, the energy, like I, I want to be healthy, okay? You look at that and you go, yeah, I, I can agree with that. Um, there's something about the follow through on being healthy though that I just can't get over, okay? So let me, let me give you an example. Uh, before this job, before I was here, I actually worked for Apple. Have you heard of Apple before? iPhone, iPad, any of those? So I worked for Apple, and right before I left, Apple had this fitness reimbursement that they offer all of their employees. So me being smart, I went, well, I'm on my way out, so I may as well cash in this thing before I leave, right? Don't judge me, you would do the same. So I took the money, and I went to my local uh, fitness place. It's literally, I, we could calculate it. It is less than 0.1 miles away from my house. Less than 0.1. In March of 2017, I strolled in with this check and I basically said, how much can I get for this amount? And they said, well, we have a deal right now and blah, 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 blah. So we can give you 15 months of fitness, like and just access here. It's 24 hours, you can come in, you can work out, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, as much as you want. And I went, this is perfect for me. And so I signed on the dotted line, I opened up this fitness membership, and I am considering tomorrow going for the first time. <laughs> right, thank you for the applause. They're like, that is so upset, that's pitiful. But this is, this is my thing, this is my struggle. <clears throat> and maybe you can relate to this. Oftentimes I really want to do something, and my heart is really into doing something, but getting my body to submit to that 
often is a much bigger challenge than getting my heart on board. Do you agree? I don't, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is in your life, but oftentimes, you know, I think God puts things in our hearts. God gives us excitement about things or he gives us energy for things and says, you know, I wanna do this with my life. Right? Maybe it's I wanna get healthy. Maybe it's I wanna get my marriage healthy. Maybe it's I wanna be a better parent. I wanna be there for my kids. And, and so we get these hearts for things that matter and things that are important, things that God says are good. And a, a lot of times God says this is required. So our hearts are there, but then when it comes to follow through, when it comes to putting sweat on the line, and blood on the line, and commitment and work, oftentimes that's just this hump, right? This speed bump that often ends up more of a wall than a barrier to get through. So where we're at, I, I just gotta tell you, I'm really excited. Um, we're gonna be in the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of the disciples of Jesus. And uh, I just wanna set up the scene for you where we're at. Last week, uh, Brian was up here, Brian was teaching, and he talked about the table. And so in the 24 hours before Jesus went to the cross, he was in an upper room, it's called the upper room, and he was with his 12 disciples. And so it's, it's like this long table, it's in the middle of a feast or a festival that's going on that all Jews participate in. And so here's all the disciples sitting around and Jesus kind of has food with them and he goes through the Seder experience, which is what Brad was just talking about, which is why we wanna open that invitation to you and say, do you wanna get a real taste, a literal taste? of what this was like and what this was like for, for Jesus and the disciples and for Jews that still do this today. So here they are, they're, they're at the table experience and then something weird happens. And Jesus looks at his disciples who he loves, who he spent the last three years with and he says, hey, I tell you what, one of you in this room is gonna betray me. One of you is gonna turn me over. And Judas sitting next to him almost as if it's under his breath, says to Jesus, you talking about me? And Jesus in this moment where I would argue maybe even a lot of the other disciples didn't hear it, didn't hear it, didn't see it, didn't pick up on it, but Jesus looks at him and he says, you said it. So Judas gets up, Judas leaves, he walks out of this experience and I would guess that a lot of the other disciples kind of just went, I wonder what Judas is up to. I wonder where Judas is going. And so Jesus, after Judas leaves, Jesus, Jesus goes through a couple more things with this, this dinner, this, this Seder experience. Then he gets his disciples, he says, hey, let's get out of here. Let's go for a walk. So they go for a walk and I just wanna take you to the scene. I wanna show you what it looks like. And so just turn your attention to the slide. This is probably what Jerusalem looked like at that time. And what we're actually looking at is a destination that Jesus takes his disciples to. And so we're gonna go to the Garden of Gethsemane and it's in this picture. And when you look at this picture, you would probably go, oh, we must be standing in it, right? Like rolling hills and beautiful trees and like, like it's overlooking. The Garden of Gethsemane must have been huge. Actually, this is so cool if you ask me. Uh, Garden of Gethsemane is right here in the middle. It's this tiny little plot of land. And our text tells us that Jesus and his disciples actually spent a lot of time here. This wasn't like an unusual or extraordinary place. This was just, this was a garden where Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples and in their relationship with God. So if you're wondering, hey, can I visit this place today? If you go to Jerusalem, it actually looks like this. 
Garden of Gethsemane is right here in the middle. We have a circle for you to show you. It's this small plot of land that's still preserved. And as you can see, if you just don't even wanna stop, you just wanna drive past it, the road goes right through it. So let's just zoom in one more time. Let's get a little more up close. It's a small garden. Those are olive trees in the middle. Gethsemane literally means like olive press. This, they're just olive trees in the garden. And you go, oh, it, it looks like a nice garden, but wait till you see inside of the garden, which is this. It's just peaceful. It's beautiful. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know where you connect with God. For me, to connect with God is like just to be in nature get away from it all, to turn my phone off and just spend time, especially if there's a body of water. I, that for me, it's just like, man, I'm just here. I'm just, I get to rest with God. And so this is where Jesus goes and he takes his 12 or his 11 disciples because Judas is still missing. And he takes his 11 and this is where we start our text today. We're in Matthew 26. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. Otherwise we'll have it on the screen for you. Matthew 26 says this, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So what, he, what happens here is like the 11 disciples are in, he looks at the 11 and he says, okay, sit, stay, right? I use the same commands for my dog, sit stay, don't move. He says to his disciples, just sit and stay, just relax. But then he looks at Peter, James, and John. These are like his inner circle. These are his best friends. These are the guys that are so connected to Jesus on such a personal level. And Jesus has done this a number of times throughout scripture as he takes these three guys and says, we're gonna leave the rest behind. I just want you to come with me for a second. So he takes Peter, James, and John, and he moves a little further. 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. Or sorry, 38, then he said to them, Jesus said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he looks at the three and he says, yeah, I just wanna let you guys know that I'm, I'm stressed. I'm, I'm really overwhelmed right now. The emotions and the turmoil inside of me is going berserk. I, I need you, just, I want you to be with me. So stay here. Then it says, Jesus went just a little bit farther, right? So you have the 11 at the front, right where they walked in. Then you have Peter, James, and John, a little bit into the garden, much more secluded. So he looks at them and says, okay, now stay here. I'm going by myself and I'm gonna go pray. This is me and God time. But just stay here, keep watch with me. fell with his face to the ground, verse 39, and says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as, say it with me, you will. What Jesus understands right now as he stands before his father in heaven is he knows what's about to unfold over the next 24 hours. He knows that he's gonna stand condemned. And he's gonna stand before God and he's gonna face the wrath of God and separation from God for the first time in all of eternity. That he's gonna be stripped 
of his relationship with God so that all of humankind can be forgiven for their sins. He's gonna face the wrath that you and I have incurred on ourselves. Jesus says, I'm, I'm gonna take that. And so as he's, as he's overwhelmed and as he's stressed, he's, he's pleading before God saying, God, if I don't have to take this cup, please take it. Because he understood what it was about to unfold. Take it. God, please take it. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. This is the biggest line of this passage here. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. You know, we read another passage of scripture, um, Luke's account. Luke is another one of the disciples. And as Luke is writing this, he records Jesus as sweating blood. You know, this is actually like a medical condition. Medical professionals, you can correct me on this. I have no idea what the term is called, but I looked it up to see if it's real. And what actually happens is in times of immense and severe stress and anxiety, your blood vessels actually constrict and then dilate too quickly that your blood leaks into your sweat glands and literally blood pours out of your face. Jesus is under some of the most intense stress and anxiety in turmoil that he's ever faced. And he's on his knees before God, saying, please, take it. Take it from me. I, I don't, God, please, take it. But not my will. Your will. Verse 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. This is where we're just camping out for a little bit because as, as I said earlier, we're looking at these four different locations that Jesus is at leading up to the cross, Garden of Gethsemane. There's this peaceful, tranquil, beautiful garden that sets the scene for one of the most disruptive and yet beautiful scenes of love in the entire Bible. That Jesus comes before his father and he says, God, I, I, I don't want to do this. This is, you know, maybe, maybe he was scared. Maybe he was anxious. I, I, I don't want to read into and say Jesus was scared, but Jesus certainly didn't want what was about to happen. He said, God, I, 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 this is too much. This is facing the wrath of God, being separated from you, but not as I will but as you will. And then this, this statement, and he's talking to his disciples and he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what Jesus is putting on display right now is humanity. Because we look at Jesus so often, maybe you're like me, maybe not. Um, but I look at Jesus and just hold him on such a high pedestal because I can never do what Jesus does, right? Duh, you look at me, David, you've shared stories, we know, right? I, I can never do what Jesus does, but Jesus Jesus, we often forget, is 100% man and 100% God. Jesus is feeling the same stress and anxiety and fear that you and I often feel. 
And so here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane and his body is responding to the stress and anxiety going on within him. And it's evident through blood pouring out of his face. Jesus is so in touch with what it means to be human. And yet this statement, when he says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus is demonstrating what flesh looks like in submission to the spirit. He's saying, my body, my flesh, the word flesh is actually sarks. It's a Greek word. It just, it literally means like meat. My body, the flesh part of me doesn't want to do this. But my spirit says I'll be obedient. So I will make my body be obedient. And this is just a question where I just want to camp out for a second. Don't we often have the same struggle? I don't know about you. I don't know what your walk with the Lord has been like. I don't know if you haven't started that yet. I don't know if you've been doing this for years or decades, but uh, for me, I look back at my life and I look at a number of different places in my life where I wrestle with God because I, I come to a crossroads in which I know God wants me to do one thing and I know I really want to do another. Can you relate to this? Any idea what I'm talking about here? So for me, it's been a number of things, right? It's been career, it's been uh, spouse. That's a fun story, I'll tell you that one in a little bit. Uh, it's been money related, it's, been, it's all over the place. But so often my life is on a trajectory and it's on a path and I'm headed a certain direction. And then I hit a crossroads in which I feel like God is stirring something else. And he says, hey, I want you to give up something that you're holding on to right now. I want you to give that to me. I want you to trust me. I want you to, to release that to me. And so I come to this crossroads and I come to this tension. And now I'm at the same spot that Jesus was in the text going, okay, God is making it very clear. He wants me to do something or move a specific direction, but everything in me says to do the opposite. And so Jesus falls on his face and he says, God, I'm gonna plead with you. Please take this from me. He goes back to his disciples and sees an example of the opposite. Their flesh just won out. No question, no problem. They're just tired, right? How many of you have teenage boys that just say, I'm tired, right? My brother comes to mind in that one. I'm just so tired. Don't do anything. You don't have a job. He has a job now, so that's different. But imagine Jesus, right? Like, you don't understand, guys. I'm, I'm before God pleading to release me from the wrath that I'm about to pay for all of your sins and all of humanity's. And I ask you one thing to stay awake for one hour. One hour. And you're sitting in a garden. We just had food. I mean, you're, you're good to go. They're just sitting there going, oh, I just can't. My eyes, man, they're just so heavy. And so this tension that Jesus is, is going through himself, but the tension that he's also pointing out is this, this uh, struggle between who, who wins out, the flesh or the spirit. When God says, I want you to do something, when God speaks to you and puts something on your heart, and he says, this is the direction I wanna move you, do you listen to that and do you submit to that or do you often submit to the flesh? And say, I just do what feels right. I just do what's easy. I just take the easy way out. <clears throat> Here's something you might bring up. This is um, one of my argue points in my relationship with God over the years, but it, it often goes something like this. God, you don't understand what it's like to be me. You don't understand what it's like to have needs. You don't understand what it's like to have deficiencies. You don't, you don't understand, God, that I need to be in charge. I need to have power. I need to have security. I need to have control. I need to have finances to do what you've called me to do. God, I, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And so oftentimes when God comes to us and says, hey, I'm stirring something in your heart and I'm stirring something in your life and I want you to submit that to me so I can use it, it often comes at a very significant cost to us. 
right? A, a cost, a, a cost of finances, a cost of power, a cost of control, a cost of our ability to dictate our future. And so the struggle that I've often felt is, God, I have so many needs that I don't think you understand. And so when you're calling me to give that up and you're calling me to move, uh, what about my needs? What about all the stuff that I need to take care of? What about me? Self-preservation, self-fulfillment. God, what what about all of these things? And this this is a quote I wanna share with you because this has changed my life over the last month, month and a half. And it goes like this. It's not a surprise to God that we are needy. It's a surprise to him that we would go anywhere else but to him. How many of you have ever asked God and you come before and you say, God, please take this desire away from me. God, please take this need away from me. This need for security, this need for significance, this need for for understanding. God, please please take it away from me because it's crippling me. I've prayed that prayer so many times about so many different things in my life and yet here's the thing, and this is what this quote says, is, is why would God remove a need in which ultimately we go to him to fulfill. Just let that sit for a second. God created us so intentionally and so specifically with needs and deficiencies, not so that we go through life constantly needing and lacking, but so that we go through life dependent on the one who can provide for all of those needs in their fulfillment. Isn't this crazy? Just think about this for a second. Think about the implications that are involved in this. God, you're saying that you know I have a need for security. Of course I do. Just come to me with that. Okay, God, I I have a need for control. No, you don't. You have a need for control. You have a need for housing and food and clothing. Come to me with those. God, I I have a need, fill in the blank. God says, I created these needs and these deficiencies in you so that you come to me and you experience the fullness of those through me. This, this has been rocking my world. I, I just, I, I wanna make sure you're hearing this. That when we talk about the, the dispute here between flesh and spirit, flesh is what speaks out of need Spirit is what speaks out of fulfillment. And so as Jesus is on his knees before God saying, God, my flesh doesn't wanna go through this because I have a need to avoid pain. I have a need to avoid separation. I have a need to avoid aloneness. And God says, come to me with those needs. What is he asking you in your life, in your heart to say, come to me to release these needs to me? because I'll fulfill them. And it's not a surprise when you come to me, it's a surprise when I watch you go anywhere else. So how many of you are familiar with the term zero sum game? You ever heard this before? This is like game theory, perfect, most of you haven't. So a zero sum game uh, is actually a financial term and it works like this. Um, I must lose so that someone else must win. Or you flip it around, when I win equals someone else must have lost. Okay, so if you think about finances, let me just illustrate it. Um, Let's say I have $100, okay? I have $100 
and somebody else has zero dollars, right? Let's say Brad's up here with me. Brad has zero dollars, I have a hundred dollars. For Brad's income or for Brad's amount to go up, what must happen to mine? Go down, right? This is easy, right? If you say, okay, there's a hundred dollars, for Brad's to go up, mine must then go down. We can't just have Brad's go up with mine staying the same. Oftentimes, we approach God in this way. That we say, okay, God, I'm gonna come to you and I have a need, but here's the thing, I have a need I must lose so that you win and get your way. That for you to win and for you to succeed in my life means I have to sacrifice and give up and lose. Or oftentimes we flip it on its head and say it's the other way around. God, I know you want to win and I know you want me to submit to you and I know you want my life, but here's the thing, I'm not willing to lose. I want to win. Therefore, I'm gonna get my way, I'm gonna do things my way, I'm gonna do what I want, I'm gonna stock up, I'm gonna, whatever it is, I'm going to keep so that you lack. And here's the problem with the zero sum game is that often when we approach God like this, it changes our prayer life and it changes what we ask for. Because instead of asking for God to fulfill our needs, what we're asking for is God, I, please let me go of what you want me to do. Please release me of this, re release me of that tension so that I can do what I want, right? If we look at our prayer life, and this is, this is supposed to be introspective, so just, just think about for a second your prayer life over the last week or month or year, what often dominates your prayers? For me, as I've constantly come before God, if I would um, maybe calendar or record or whatever it is, my prayer life with God, it would often look like something like this. God, I really know that you want me to do this, but I'm gonna ask that you provide for me in a different way. God, I'm gonna try to convince you that, that my plan is so good and that it makes sense. God, I really want this job. God, I really want this girl. God, I really want this raise. God, I really want this thing. God, please give, please give, please give. I'm, I know. What do I have to do to change your mind to show you that I need this? Anybody else relate here? That when we go to God, it's asking, going, my plan's really good. Let me just outline it for you. I made this PowerPoint for you, God. Okay, so this is me. This is where I'm at, click. This is where I wanna be, click. And this is where you come in. You can make that happen. Apparently, it's just me. Okay. Oftentimes, our prayer life is coming before God saying, this is what I want. You're the one that makes it happen. We treat him like a genie. But that's that zero-sum game. That's when we go before him and say, God, I really want what I want, so please sacrifice on your end so that I can get what I want. And yet, what submission is is when we come before God and we say, I'm going to lose whatever I'm holding on to so that I can submit to your will and receive the fullness of what you have in, in store for me. As I was thinking, even this week, um, there was something, I was just praying through this and working through this, um, this realization came to my head. If you want to experience the fullness of God in any and every area of your life, do you know what you need to do in that area of life? Submit it. Is that the most counterintuitive thing you've ever heard? Think about it. If our prayer life is so full of God, convincing God, going, God, this is what I need, this is what I want, God, please do what I'm asking you to do. For us to surrender that and to give in to that and say, God, you're in charge, I'll trust you, that is actually where we find the fulfillment. See, where the zero sum, the zero sum game falls apart is this. I lose so that God wins, or I win so that God loses. 
zero-sum game is ruined and it doesn't apply to our relationship with God for this reason. In the garden, where we're at right now, Jesus makes the decision to submit. Essentially, Jesus looked at the zero-sum board and he says, um, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna lose so that they can win and the they is us. Because when he looks at, at his father and he says, God, not my will, but your will. What he did was lay down what he desired. He laid down his purpose and his plan and he said, God, you are in charge. <clears throat> and Jesus did what we can't do and that's pay the price for what we've done. You see the difference here? And this is the coolest thing, Brad was alluding to this about Easter, is Easter is three days later, three days after this point right now, three days, or three days after 24 hours from this point, when Jesus is at the cross, Jesus says, God, I submit to you, and I give this up to you, and Jesus loses so that we win, and then three days later, Jesus wins. You see how it becomes a win-win? When we submit our lives to God, we release control of what we honestly don't really have control of anyway to experience the fullness that God has planned and designed for us all along. So I wanna read this, Matthew 26, verse 45. says this, this is Jesus' action step. He says, then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. At this point in the story, missing Judas shows up. He brings a whole crowd with him. They're armed, right? It's very like torch and pitchfork picturesque. Right, they're all angry, they're all mad, they're all ready. They come expecting a fight and what Jesus does is this. Take me. Because I'm so submitted to the Father and what the Father has ordained for me in my life. Take me and do what you want. And they take him without a fight. And I want you to come back next week because we're gonna see what happens then next in the courtyard, right? Jesus goes to trial. It is the most absurd trial you've ever seen, right? This is like reality TV trial, right? Underground, at night, only certain people are invited, false witnesses, it's crazy, it's in the Bible, come back next week. But Jesus willingly turns himself over. Hebrews 5 says this, <clears throat> During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent, say it with me, submission. His reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus experienced the fullness of what God had planned for him in his submission. 
And what he calls us to do as his followers is to model the same thing. That whenever we come before God, that we just offer our lives, we offer our finances, we offer our futures, we offer our spouses and our kids, we offer whatever it is that we hold on to. And we say, God, I trust you in this because I'm not in charge, but you are. And it's that one thing, I just want you to think for a second. What's that one thing that you just hold on to tighter than anything? I was up here two weeks ago. You remember this, the finance series? I had a bunch of dollar bills. I didn't bring those back today. For me, a large part of my life was walking around with a clenched fist around my money. Saying, God, you can have whatever you want in my life. Except this one thing because I really like this one thing. I get a lot of security from this and significance from this. I get a, there's a lot of passion for me in this. God, you can have whatever you want except this one thing. And over time, what God did is slowly open up finger by finger and allowed me to release that to him. And it wasn't until after that was released that I found life and joy in the submission of something I had held on to for so long. You know, I mentioned my, uh, mentioned my wife earlier in this. Um, this is funny. You know what I used to say um, back before I was married or engaged or before I ever knew my wife? What I used to say to people, they would ask me, oh, how's life going? How are things going? And I would respond by saying this, dude, everything's great. I'm doing awesome. I feel like God is for me in every area of my life except one. And it's the whole dating game. I just hate it right? I would hate it because I'd be interested in a girl. That would just crumble, disappear. I'd be interested in another one. That wasn't going anywhere. I was interested in another one. Way too interested in me. I'm like, God, this one's annoying. You know, so just wrestling, going back and forth. Why isn't this working for me, God? Why? Step after step after step. I'm just being honest with you. Four, five, maybe six years, I'm walking around with a clenched fist around marriage without a girlfriend. Does that make sense? but I'm holding on to it. I'm holding on to it so tightly because to me, man, in my prayer life, if you would have heard it, I'd say this, God, you can have any area of my life, but I want this. This is important to me. This matters to me more than I can ever express. God, I want this so deeply. You know what happened in my heart? Over a lot of pain, over a lot of struggle, over a lot of strife and arguing and fighting with God, what ended up happening was I had to fall before my face. A lot similar to Jesus here as, as we read. And it was me in my own garden setting, right? It's in my bedroom. It was late at night. And I remember just getting on my knees. And as I'm praying before my father, I remember doing this. You know what, God? I can give this one up. I can sacrifice it. Because if this is the life that you're calling me to, I believe you've called me to be a pastor. And in my mind, this, is, this made the most sense. God, I, I, I give this up to you and I trust you and I'll follow you. And I will live the life that you've called me to in the fullest, most passionate way that I ever could as a single man. I'll travel anywhere, I'll go anywhere, I'll go where it's dangerous, I'll go where I'm not allowed. I do that one a lot. I'll do whatever I need to do, God, but I'll do it as a single man and I'll do it so on fire for you so that people look and say, okay, marriage isn't necessary for the gospel. 
that you are a whole and complete person just as a singular person. And, and God, I'll do that for you, even though this goes against everything I desire so deeply in my heart, I'm just gonna sacrifice that and I'm gonna give that up to you. Do you know, it was one month later that I met my wife. Sense of humor. You know what happened? It was a heart change. Because for the first time in my life, I had given up what was most important to me and said, okay, God, I trust you. I just wanna turn that on you. You knew this was coming. What is it? What is it in your life that you just hold on to so tightly? You have this white knuckle death grip and you say, God, you can have whatever part of my life you want, except this one thing. Maybe it's money and retirement. Maybe it's marriage like it was for me for so long. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's kids. I don't know what it is for you. I, I'm, we're gonna give you space here in a second to figure that out. But just as you go before God, as you go before your heavenly father, what's this one thing that you have asked for for decades maybe? say, this is what I want, God, please just give it to me. Today, I just wanna give you an opportunity to look at one thing. We don't have to look at every area, okay? We'd be here all day. Just one thing. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? Jesus looked at his disciples in the garden and he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're gonna pray for strength today strength of the flesh to match what the spirit desires. So as we think here for a second, I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to make a fist like this. Grab two hands, make a fist. I just want you to hold on. I don't care if you think this is weird, we're doing it. Fist. <clears throat> and I want you in your hands to picture this thing that you're holding on to. I want you to just think about it in your mind. Just close your eyes. This is the thing. God, man, if I could ask for anything and know it was a guarantee you'd give it to me right now, this is the one thing I'd ask for. And as you hold that so tightly in your grip, I just want you to look at it. I want you to feel the stress and the tension on your hands. I want you to feel the slight pain, maybe even that you feel in your hands because you're just holding on to it so tightly. And I want you to think about the number of ways that this is dictating how you live and who you relate to and your relationship with God and what dominates your thought life. I just want you to think about the grasp that you don't just have on this, but that this thing has on you. And if you're ready as an act of submission before our Father, for your Father in heaven, I want you to slowly release your grip. I want you to slowly let it go. And as scary, as frightening, as nerve-wracking, whatever it is, as much as that is, I want you to release that and slowly move your hands towards God and say, okay, I'll give this up. You can take this. God, as we come before you right now, 
Whatever it is that we're holding on to, whatever it is that we hold so dearly to us, whatever it is that just owns us, God, I just pray that we would have the strength today in our flesh to give that up to you. God, whatever's holding us back, whether it's significance, whether it's security, whether it's money, whatever it is, God, whatever's holding us back from releasing and submitting to you and your will, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts right now, that you would give us strength to release that to you and to be okay with submitting to you with, for, for, for what you have planned for us. God, you've made it so clear through the life of Jesus, through the life of the disciples, through scripture, that we find fulfillment when we die to ourselves and we find it in you. God, I pray that we would have the strength and the courage and the boldness to let go and to follow you and to pursue you and to trust you. God, you know we have need, you know we have desires, but God, I ask that you speak to those in your own way that you would give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to release those things to you, to trust you, to fulfill those in your own way in our lives. God, I feel like some of us in here, you may stirring up, you may be stirring up passions, maybe something like foster care, maybe adoption, maybe starting a nonprofit, maybe switching jobs. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's restoration, maybe it's forgiveness. I, I don't know what it is, Father, but, but I feel you stirring things in this room and in the hearts of your people. And I, I just ask that you'd give us courage and clarity to step towards the things that you're calling us to. God, as you're active and working in this community, we wanna constantly submit to you and to your authority and to your will to do what you've called us to do. God, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.